1: Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasny. Joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio. Paul, what's going on tonight, man? We got we got MLS to talk about.
2: Yeah, you know it's been so long since we've talked about MLS, like actual MLS.
1: We, we talked about the salaries last week, but we're yeah, going to talk about like,
2: I mean, like soccer. soccer. Like yeah. we're going to talk
1: about soccer <laughs> that happened in Major League Soccer
2: this week. It's been a while. It has been,
1: but. It's also been a while since since the New England Revolution have lost a game. Uh, they're doing pretty well right now. Um, we are going to talk about them and then breaking the all time MLS regular season points record. We're going to talk about kind of the evolving, ever evolving playoff picture. Um, you know, I actually went back and I looked at my preseason picks today, and that was not a that was not a pretty picture. Um, so we're going to talk about, about the evolving playoff picture. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the coaching openings and who we would hire if we were in charge of the clubs with openings, um, which there could be more of pretty soon, by the way. Um, uh, but we'll, we'll stick to the ones that are actually open right now. Uh, it's a tall enough task as is, so we don't need, we didn't need to give ourselves more homework just yet. Um, uh, but we we will start with the refs. Uh, they beat the Colorado Rapids at home one zero on Wednesday night. They had clinched the supporter Shield over the weekend uh, when Seattle failed to beat Sporting Kansas City, and with the win over Colorado, they moved to seventy-three points, breaking the record previous record of seventy-two, which was set by LAFC in twenty nineteen. It's like the fourth year in a row, basically, that the all-time points record has fallen, which is kind of remarkable. Twenty seventeen Toronto did it. Twenty eighteen the Red Bulls did it. Twenty nineteen aforementioned LAFC. Twenty twenty pandemic shortened season. Nobody could have gotten there. They only played 23 games. And here we are in 2021. The Revs have done it. Uh, It's a weird year. The schedule is very unbalanced. The Revs didn't really have to play anybody in the West, uh, although they did break the record against a Western Conference team, and a good one at that. Um, But, Paul, what do you make of this achievement? What do you make of the Revs doing it? Is this the best team ever? Is this kind of a watered-down achievement because of that unbalanced schedule? What do you think of it?
2: Well, it's... Without question, a watered-down achievement based on the unbalanced schedule. I mean, the supporter Shield as a concept is flawed because of the unbalanced schedule this year, even more so. Sam, you tweeted a great quote from Bruce Arena about Supporters' Shield being... A farce. I don't know exactly. What was his words exactly? (laughs) Um,
1: Well, you keep talking. I want to pull it up exactly. So give me a moment. Stall for me, Paul.
2: I don't think it's a coincidence that the the stat you just pointed out, that there's been four consecutive, essentially four consecutive points records set in Major League Soccer. I think it speaks to the issues with the unbalanced schedule. I think it speaks to a, a league that's still kind of evolving and changing and um, you know, that's kind of had I think m- less parity in a way, like more top-heavy teams, more really, really bad teams that just completely like crash and burn. Um, I don't know. I have to go back and analyze every single season, but I you'd have to think that something like that is happening to have that mark broken four consecutive years in a row. I, I also think this was a really weak year in the in the Eastern Conference. So yeah, you know, yeah. all of that being said, is it? An amazing accomplishment to do what they've done. Yes, of course that you know to to have as many points as they have is is incredible. It's a fantastic season. They should yeah. be proud. The fans should be I happy. And I think
1: I think they have been the best team in MLS this year. Yeah, I think that's fair to say too.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's no way to argue that. I just think that you know, do I think that it's like uh, one of the greatest seasons ever? You know, what? Sorry, one of the best teams ever in MLS history? No. It doesn't. Yeah. they don't rise to that level for me. But you know, I am going to eat some crow about New England and Bruce Arena in a bit here. I'll let you. I, do you have the quote ready yet? I do have it. All right. Go um, for it. here
1: it is. It's and this was an interview that I did with Bruce almost two years ago, exactly. In fact, and and he said this whole supporter shield concept with an unbalanced schedule to me is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, which. By the way, just not for nothing. I would love to just like ask Bruce the top ten stupidest things he's ever seen in his life um because there's a lot of them it, it's weird it should really only be one but there 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 are many stupidest things that he's yeah, ever well. seen um so I think that could be a fun conversation. I want to address I definitely think the supporter shield is devalued by the fact that the schedule isn't balanced. there was a time a brief moment in MLs history I think it was 2010 and twenty eleven when there were. Uh, it was a perfectly balanced schedule in the league. I want to say it was 16 teams in MLS and everyone played each other home and home. And it was a 30-game schedule and it was perfectly balanced and the Supporters' Shield was this nice, uh, neatly wrapped gift that you got at the end of the season for the team that that did the best. The unbalanced schedule, it's a reality. It's, I mean, the league, if you're going to be as big as MLS, you're going to have an unbalanced schedule. It is what it is. That devalues the shield. There's no question about that. I do think, though, I don't know if it if it makes it easier or harder to set a points record. Um, I think you said that, and and that. I, I mean, I don't know. The East being weak this year certainly helped the Revs. Um, I think if they were in the Western Conference, they don't have as many points as they have. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Well, then that um, helps. <laughs> yeah, it does. But like, just just being unbalanced in general, it has to be unbalanced, and you have to have the weak conference, right? Anyway. It's not an important point that I'm making. I don't know why I'm spending so much time on it. Uh, But yeah, the Revs have had an incredible year. And I think one thing that Bruce said last night, um, on Wednesday night, after the match, really stuck out to me. And his quote was, you know, he's talking about how this is a remarkable thing that his team has achieved. And the exact thing that he said was... I said that to the team. It's kind of remarkable. Man, what a bleep show I inherited in May of 2019. <laughs> to think how far they've come is kind of remarkable. It really is. And Paul, I was, you know, lucky, unlucky, whatever you want to call it. I was around that team in May of 2019 in Boston. I had actually, I went on the charter flight with them. They were on the Patriots plane to a game in Kansas City 10 days before Brad Friedel got fired. Um so I was I was very close to that team at that time, and he's not wrong. It was a complete mess. A complete utter disaster. Friedel ended up getting fired after they lost two consecutive games by five goals. Two games by five goals in a row. I think they were two eight and two with a negative nineteen goal difference at the time he was dismissed. Negative nineteen goal difference in, in twelve matches. That's like unheard of. They were bottom of the Eastern Conference. They had lost at home to FC Cincinnati. I mean, we remember how bad Cincinnati was that year. They lost at home to that team. They lo- they They're lost at home a, in a match I was at to a Montreal team that had so many flight problems that they didn't get to the game until three hours before kickoff. They didn't get to, to the team hotel. That's when they showed up. And they went out and they smashed them. Um, that team was shambles. And this team that he's taken over and has led to the points record features a lot of the same pieces that were on that team back when, back when it was a bleep show, right? You got Matt Turner. He wasn't really playing when Friedel was fired, but now he's a starter for the U.S. men's national team and the best keeper in MLS. Tejan Buchanan was a rookie at that time. He's now turned into a player who's being signed by a Champions League club and going there after this season. Carles heel, excellent. Um, Dewan Jones, another rookie at the time, who's turned into a, a really useful player. Brandon By. He was starting some games for the Revs at that time. He's a starter for them still. Uh, Andrew Farrell, you know, that's like, that's six starters that I just named that were on that team that he inherited when it was a mess. And here they are, Supporters Shield Champions and all-time MLS points records holder, record holder. And I think it's it's a testament to the players, of course, but I think it's really a testament to Bruce Arena and what he's able to do with teams. I think it's pretty remarkable. The guy has something special going on.
2: Yeah, I mean, on that point, I'm looking back at a column I wrote. Yeah, I actually
1: read this column earlier today. <laughs> and while I
2: do that, Sam, could you pull up the 2019 MLS transactions list for me? I know you've got that bookmarked. Yeah, um, I can. This is a, and and when I look back at this column, I I just read it again tonight, and I feel like, you know, when I wrote it, I remember saying like, I'm just gonna write what people are telling me. And I think I did an okay job. I thought it was worse than it was when I when I opened it. Um, but this, this one quote sticks with me. And this is what I mean when I, I gave a a platform to somebody, um, as one club executive put it, it feels like a hire for a league that no longer exists. And the point that this executive and others were trying to make at the time was that Bruce was around for the start of Tam, but he wasn't around for the transformative portion of targeted allocation money. He was coaching the U S men's national team when, the big increase in TAM came along and teams really started to spend and rosters really started to transform. And they wondered whether he could create rosters that had that balance because Bruce's teams in LA typically relied on really good domestic players who kind of outperformed their salary numbers. You know, I, I wrote in this, guys like Mike McGee, A.J. De La Garza, Todd Donovan, Baggio Sidic, Dan AJ <laughs> Current Gargan, Rev,
1: A.J. De La Garza. De La Garza. <laughs>
2: yeah, and Omar Gonzalez, and, you know, would that really work in today's MLS? You need you need to be able to show that you can sign international guys beyond just the DPs. And, more importantly, that he was going to a club that didn't traditionally spend the way the mm-hmm. Galaxy had spent on on DPs. It's safe to say, you know, and I, and I wrote in this piece that Bruce was going to need time to turn things around. He was going to need money. He didn't.
1: He didn't. <laughs> he was going to need money and he was going to need support. That he used. He yeah. got money and he got yeah.
2: support. Mm-hmm. Um in fact one of the people that was quoted in this story saying that he thought Bruce would do a good job is Kurt Anolfo who was shortly thereafter hired as the technical director in New England. <laughs> um maybe slightly biased. Uh but but correct. But correct. Well. And and you have to give credit to him. And so I couldn't find the 2019 transactions. But the important one in 20, I, I found important it. two in twenty nineteen is Gustavo Bo came in shortly after Bruce was hired.
1: About six weeks.
2: And Carlos Heel as well.
1: Came in before Bruce was hired. Came in before, before Bruce season. was hired. Before the season
2: began. So those two players were important. Only one of them brought in from Bruce. And when you look at twenty twenty, you go through the, the list. Adam Buxa came in as a forward. They drafted Henry Henry Kessler.
1: Wasn't great last year, by the way.
2: Right. Matt Polster was signed from Rangers. Um Tommy McNamara was brought in. Those are those are the ones who are still around. You know, obviously there were some quote unquote misses. You can but you can see what Bruce was doing with who he signed that year, Kellen Rowe, Seth Sinovich, Sinovich uh, Kikuta Mane, Lee Wynn, in addition to those other four I mentioned, or if you want yeah. to go through MLS, you know, Polster, McNamara, Kessler, he's a rookie, but he was testing out. It was like he was like kind of throwing his, his fishing line out into the MLS talent pool and saying, okay, I'm going to bring in eight or nine guys who know know how to do their job in this league. And that's kind of how Bruce builds rosters. He, he, he signs players like McNamara, who you know couldn't cut it in NYCFC's midfield, went to Houston, wasn't really playing in Houston, and he says, look, you just do this thing that you do really well, and don't worry about everything else. We're going to sign other players to do other things. We're going we're gonna to put this puzzle together well. And, and the question was, would that type of strategy work in today's MLS? And the answer is yes. It has. Um, and he did it well, again this year. I mean, again, not every signing is going to work. But this year, this offseason, he went and got Eji De La Garza from Miami. Boateng, who he had coached or who had been in L.A. Um, you know, he was again looking out there as well, though they, they did go international kind of, I don't want to say heavily, but yeah, m- more attention paid internationally this offseason. But I think it just shows how Bruce Arena thinks about roster building and specifically the value that he puts on MLS players and the belief that they can play an important role. And Sam, I'll throw it to you. I just wanted to say one more stat here that kind of shows that, um, which is that eight of the top 11 players in, in the New England roster this year in minutes played were domestic-based MLS players. Guys like Andrew Farrell, DeWan Jones, Matt Turner, Brandon By. Kessler, Polster, McNamara, Buchanan.
1: And the other three, I assume, were the DPs. That's right. Heel, Bo, and Buxa. Exactly. And that's that's what I wanted to hit on because those three have been amazing. Fantastic. Carly Seal is probably the MVP. I think he's got four goals and 18 assists. Uh, Buxa and Bo are both near the top of the Golden Boot standings. Um, they've actually really looked out for each other a lot this year on the field in ways that they didn't really. They felt a little bit more individual at times last year. Um, Tom Bogert from MLS Soccer, he had a good stat that he put out earlier today. Um, he added up all of the goals and assists combined by MLS DPs per team this year. New England, their DPs have combined for 66 total goals and assists. That leads MLS. The next closest teams, tied for second, Nashville and Atlanta, Guess how many? Did you see the stat? Guess how many they not. those two not. have?
2: I would say like twenty-seven.
1: Oh well, you didn't play this game well, Paul. Do better next time. You got to guess like fifty-eight next time. You okay? said just... you set it up like really low. I, I know, but then you you know you it's... theater of the mud. <laughs> <laughs> 33, 33 see, yeah. is the answer. Hey, give me some. Thirty-three. Credit. You got to, um, I wheel a
2: fortune that thing, man. You exactly, can't go
1: over. exactly half. That's incredible. Like you mentioned, the domestic guys, and rightfully so. But the reason the Revs are the Revs is because of heel, Bo, Buxa, and Turner, right? Who has been the best goalkeeper in the league this year. This is a team that isn't blowing teams out. LaFC in 2019 was murdering teams. I think their final goal difference was like plus 48. The Revs are at plus 25. They've won 18 games by one goal. 18 of their 22 wins, one goal wins. No other team in the MLS even has 18 wins, right? They're operating on relatively fine margins, which I think serves them well for the playoffs, not for nothing. Um, but they're blowing people out, right? They just have match winners in the key spots on the field. Carly Seal, match winner. Gustavo Bo, match winner. Matt Turner, absolute match winner. Adam Buxa, same way. And you can throw probably Tejan Buchanan into that mix from time to time as well. And so it's just a really good mix. Bruce, somebody said this to me earlier this week. Bruce, no one's ever been better in MLS at, at understanding the mix. And and not in terms of roster building, but like locker room too.
2: It's always been you know? his MO. He's a, He's a locker room guy. He understands how they work, yeah. the chemistry that's needed there, how to get a group bought in. And I think that's part of what I was saying earlier, like telling guys like this is what you do. This is what you do and how you do it well. And it fits really well with everyone else around you. It kind of yeah. reminds me of like American football. Like if you do your job, assignment football. Like if you do your job, we'll be fine. If you start to freelance, if you don't go into that gap like you're supposed to, we're mm-hmm. going to get blown out by Navy because we're playing it out. Op- you know what I mean? Like it. It's like that's how – I think that's kind of how Bruce puts these rosters together. Like you do your job. You have this type of personality. You all fit together really well. And he just understands how that works. Like, the dynamics of that really, really well. And when you talk to guys who played for him with the Galaxy, they'll all discuss that. Like, they all bring that up. The Like, those guys are still really close. You know, when you look at, like, Mike McGee being, like, good friends with Robbie Keane or David Beckham, you know? Like that speaks to the personalities that came together in that locker room, you know, yeah. or when you no, look it's, at Giannino it's the same, it's the, the same with
1: these revs teams, man. Like I remember I, I was going back, I was doing a lot of reading from 2019 today. Cause I'm going to write about the revs here soon. Um, but I remember that the night they clinched the playoffs in 19, they clinched it with a game to go game to spare, which was remarkable considering where they were at the third, third way mark of the season they basically didn't lose a game for three months after Bruce got hired. It was kind of crazy. Um, but they were like all talking about how bad it was before in terms of the vibe in the locker room. And the final game for Brad Friedel, a 5-0 loss in Chicago. Paul, you may have even been at that game. I don't know. Um, how in the, at halftime guys were screaming and yelling at each other. And how after the game guys were like, yeah, you know, I kind of quit. And other guys were like, well, F you then. Like, are you kidding me? You know, Andrew Farrell said that to me in this quote. It was, you know, he's out there. He was on the field watching a Special Olympics unif- Unified game in his full uniform after they had just beat NYCFC. And and he goes, in Chicago, guys gave up. Guys in the locker room, a couple of guys were like, yeah, I quit out there. And it was just like, huh, okay, well, F you then. It was just weird. I think Brad knew he was gone. And we kind of knew we'd screwed it up. It was really crappy. <laughs> um and And Brad Knighton, who at this point was the backup goalkeeper to turner um he m l s vet he's been around um he was sort of speaking to what Bruce was able to change in terms of the vibe, and you know he mentioned how Bruce understands that different guys respond differently to different things, and maybe you can press one guy more than another guy and you, but he has a good understanding of the players. And he was like, Bruce came in and there was just a switch that went off in the group. Everyone felt galvanized and free and a bit more expressive. That means a lot. Guys being able to express themselves, not looking over their shoulder, worried about what's going to happen. Guys play free. And I think that was a huge part of it, it being their success. So it, I mean, this stuff matters. Mentality matters, especially in MLS because the margins are thin. And I remember interviewing Bruce right after he had gotten hired. Sorry, I'm rambling on here, Paul. I apologize. But interviewing Bruce right after he got hired and he was like, This team is talented. And I remember being like, What is this guy talking about? This team's awful. And they were awful. But he's like, no, this team's pretty good. They got some good players here. I'm like, have you watched them? And he was right. You know, that you got the mentality right and it immediately paid off.
2: Well, you could Here we are. I, I don't think there could have been a more drastic change in man management, understanding how to deal with players.
1: Brad Friedel made them run hills.
2: <laughs> from from Brad Friedel to Bruce Arena, like like there's also this, it, like I feel like it also is indicative of like the different types of egos that exist. Because Bruce Arena has an enormous ego, it's not like it's different than Brad Friedel, who also has an enormous ego. But mm-hmm. there there you have to compartmentalize. Yeah. You know, and maybe it it benefited Bruce that his ego was built as a coach whereas Brad Friedel's ego was built as a player. An
1: incredible player. An incredible
2: yeah. player and he felt like he could project that I was great and I know how like his whole management style was like I've played at the highest levels that you guys would never understand. We're going to we're going to run this organization as though it was a Premier League team in 1999 and it's going to be amazing and this is the way football is done around the world and bruce bruce's approach is hey this is mls like we're going to put together a roster of guys who just kind of get it done and we're going to fit well together and we're not going to be anything more than what we are and like mm-hmm. that's it and like yeah. it like relaxed the players it relaxed the atmosphere it relaxed the mentality and it's just a totally different approach to a locker room and typically as we all know and, and and i think we were writing before brad friedel was let go you know his style doesn't work doesn't work
1: yeah he was the, he was the outdated one right yeah. like you know and ma- maybe he's learned from it and he didn't do it wasn't all bad he signed carly seal you know yeah he drafted he drafted Tejan buchanan and Dewan jones and i think Brandon bai um gave matt turner his first chance we, we
2: should say we should we should say mike burns was involved in that too yeah it yeah. took a lot of heat so, and i all i i didn't look mike burns i didn't i did not agree with his style but i will say what mike burns was was a company a company man
1: too like, much like he too was much like
2: he was like what my <laughs> i was gonna say i maybe i shouldn't say this. he's like what my wife would be like as a gm like super loyal <laughs> like, she probably doesn't listen to this show. It's she definitely fine. doesn't listen to this show but like just super loyal like you give me the task I'm fine executing it I have no emotion I don't care what other people say about me I don't I don't care if I make a player upset like my directive from ownership is to not spend too much money grind down contracts and you know get the most out of what I can get the most out of and he did that unapologetically. You know, guys outperformed their deals. He didn't care. You just signed a new deal. I'm not giving you a new one again. You know, like that was his approach, and it pissed off a lot of players, and it pissed off a lot of agents, and it pissed off a lot of other GMs who were trying to trade with him. He was unrelenting in that sense. But you know what? That was his. That was what ownership told him to do, and he he just did it. And like, I respect that. I'm not sure that that's true. By the way, I
1: I that that's what ownership told him
2: to do. I, I think it is. I think the difference is there was never an attempt to change their mind. Yes. There was never an attempt to say, well, this is how we could do it better. This is why we should do it this way. That was always the, at least that's what, how it was told to me by other people who had been around it or who kind of understood the way he didn't didn't push. He didn't push back. He didn't push back. He said, this is my job. You want me to do it? I'm going to do it that way. And, and Bruce came in and said, if you want to win, this is how we need to do it, and the craft I mean, said, "Okay,
1: look, look at it. They spent seven million dollars, three and a half times more than they ever spent on a transfer. Five weeks after Bruce showed up, right, right.
2: You know, like, it, but like, it's, also, like, yeah. how much would you pay to have been a fly on the wall or to have like a security camera footage of Bruce's interview with Robert Kraft? Like, I can just, I can only imagine. Oh, god." I think that's a good place to take this to break.
1: (laughs) Stay with us.
0: We're going to come back, talk about MLS playoffs and how that race is shaping up. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com
1: revs tuck in the rear view we are moving on to the rest of the potential playoff field we know new england is in it we know nashville is in it in the east out west we know seattle kansas city and colorado have booked their places that means there is a total of what what's 5 plus 4 9 good math uh <laughs> quick maths <laughs> uh, quick there math. are nine sp- there are nine spots up for grabs most teams in the league have two games remaining some have three uh let's just break it down conference by conference starting the east because that's where i am uh basically looking at essentially eight teams fighting for five spots philly is pretty secure they have 50 points they're in third followed by nycfc and orlando on 47 all three of those teams have two games remaining atlanta is in what sixth at 46 points they have three games left atlanta Game in hand on most of their rivals. D.C. United in the seventh and final playoff spot after their win against the Red Bulls. They have 44 points with two games to go. Red Bull right behind them. They're tied with Montreal. Both of those teams are one point back of D.C. with 43, and both of them have three left. So they're in, you know, they kind of control their own destiny here. Columbus, ninth place, excuse me, 10th place with 41 points. They only have two games to go. Looking pretty unlikely for them, Miami is technically still alive. Paul wants to kill them. I want them to make the playoffs because I cheer for chaos. Um, but Paul didn't include them in his list of teams that were, you know, alive.
2: Well, I what, what I really am mad at myself about is not favoriting all the tweets from Miami fans who were sending me tweets after my Miami story came out. And then Miami went mm-hmm. on like a three-game run against the worst teams in the league. And yeah. people started tweeting at me. And I really meant to favorite those and come back to them at this point in the year, but I didn't. It's good for my mental health that I didn't. But if you're listening, if you're one of those people that sent me tweets, ha ha.
1: <laughs> Paul, you shouldn't care about these things. You, should, you really shouldn't.
2: <laughs> I have. I have so much room in my life. To hold on to these things, Sam.
1: <laughs> you'll you'll never you'll never forget this. Like this, you'll remember this for years, decades, even. Anyway, we digress. Uh, let's start with the East. What do you think, man? Who's gonna make it? Who's gonna fake it?
2: Well, I gamed this out. I went through every single game that's left, and I just I just based it on kind of those results. I tried to take my emotion of who I want to get in out of it, and just based it on the results, and then tallied the points after that. All right, you just want to go through
1: this? You just want to go through this game by game? Start Philly, work our way down? Sure. All right, so Philly is playing at home against Cincinnati and at NYCFC. I have them picking
2: up three of a possible six points. I have them beating Cincinnati, losing to NYCFC, finishing with 53 points,
1: and comfortably in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that.
2: So then we go to NYCFC. We know we have them beating Philly. I also have them winning at Miami, and I have them going with 53 points, tied with Philly.
1: Hmm. I'm going to say there's a draw at Miami for NYCFC. So 51. They're behind. They're in fourth right now.
2: Uh, Orlando, again, I'm a big Oscar Pereja fan. I was kind of surprised by this. I have them getting a draw at home against Nashville Hmm. um, and then losing on the road at Montreal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they haven't been playing awesome down the stretch. Um, I think they're going to beat Nashville at home. But I agree with the loss at Club de Foot. Um, where does that leave us, then? That's a big so you, two
2: points for them. I have them at 48 points and out. Okay, You would and have them, have at, them 50 at 50 points if we'd have to start looking in, at the tiebreakers.
1: We're, we're in fifth, though, because I have NYCFC at 51. So they're behind. They're yeah. in fifth.
2: All well, right. Just predicting where we're going to be at here with, with the okay. games we have left. Okay, Atlanta, currently on 46 points, maximum of 55 points, playing home against Toronto FC at Red mm-hmm. Bull at Cincinnati to close the year. I have them going undefeated in that stretch, win-draw-win, picking up seven of nine points and finishing with 53.
1: Same. So that brings them level with Philly yeah. all the way at the top of this heap. Which drives right.
2: NYCFC to...
1: That would drop NYCFC to fifth and Orlando to sixth.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: Leaving us with one final playoff spot to go here, Paul.
2: And four teams remaining, my friend. Uh well, DC United, if you include Miami. <laughs> well, I don't, as you know. Um, <laughs> DC United has on is on forty-four points, and you you don't have Miami in either because Miami would have to win both and have everyone else lose out to have yeah, a chance. Yeah. So Miami I, is I out. Um, DC United on forty-four points, max of fifty. Home against Columbus at Toronto FC. I have them going dub dub fifty points.
1: Wow, that's a lot of faith in a team that uh, should have probably lost to Red Bull in midweek and got smacked six nothing on the weekend to NYCFC. You care to explain yourself?
2: I just think that it, it's a favorable schedule. Like I think the I just think that playing home against Columbus. I think Columbus is hurting mentally. They've been poor all year long. Um, I think they win that game. I think it gives them a ton of energy and momentum going into a must-win playoffs-on-the-line game on the road against a really bad Toronto FC team that has nothing to play for, and And I think they get the win. That's that's how, how I thought of it.
1: Okay. I think Columbus is going to win that game in D.C. They're going to come in and ruin the party at Audi Field. Um, I, and then I don't even know. Like... I guess they'll still be fighting for something, but I think, I think, oh man, I'm, oh, I think I'm going to give them a, a two lose, fin- two loss finish. Wow. I Can't have them dub, dub you have them
2: lost, loss. Okay. So you have them on 44 to finish and out by far. I have them on 50 and still alive in my, my bracket here.
1: Yeah. Um, Red Bulls, they There's are home me. against Montreal, home against Atlanta and then at Nashville. So three games, two at home, but no easy opponents. That Montreal match is, I mean, that's yeah,
2: huge. It's everything on that Montreal match at home. This is where it really hurt me because everyone here knows I, I, you know, we put it on the table at the beginning of the year, kind of like <laughs> put your outlandish bet down on the table. Your boys, your I, baby bulls. I bet bulls. on Red Bull to finish second. So I was like, man, I, I probably should just like start with Red Bull and do whatever I have to do to make sure that they make the playoffs. But I was like, no, Tenorio. Play this straight. So I have them draw at home against Montreal, draw at home against Atlanta, loss on the road at Nashville to finish the year, two out of a possible nine points, forty five points and out of the playoffs. I'm gonna give
1: them four. I think they're beating Montreal at home. Four out of nine, forty seven. They're ahead of DC in my in my standings here. Um Will they be ahead of Montreal when all is said and done? Find out right now. Montreal, they're on 43. I already just said they, they have, they're they at Red Bull this weekend. Home against Houston. Home against Orlando to finish it out. I kind of like that schedule, especially those last two.
2: Well, I, I already don't remember. What did you pick in the Orlando-Montreal game earlier? When we I, picked
1: Orlando. Mon- I picked Montreal to win.
2: Okay, so you've got Montreal winning in Orlando or at home against Orlando. You've got them losing Losing to Red Red Bull. So that's three points out of a possible nine. It's all down to a home game against Houston. They're going to win that game. They're going to beat. So you're giving them six points. They're on 49. That means they're ahead of Red Bull. They're ahead of D.C. And they're in. And I have them going draw, win, win with 50 points and in.
1: Okay. And And I I have Columbus out, um, but they'll win
2: both their matches, but that's not going to be enough.
1: 47.
2: I have Columbus going loss-loss to finish the year. I have them losing to Chicago at home.
1: Okay. So, so I think I, I have Philly, or I have Atlanta, Philly, NYCFC, Orlando, and Montreal, I guess. I just decided that right now on this show. You yeah, all heard it.
2: I have Atlanta, Philly, NYCFC, D.C., and Montreal. I guess Montreal, Montreal no, D.C. has the tiebreaker there, I believe. So, yeah. I don't know. Those, I think those.
1: you named too many teams, though.
2: Yeah. Atlanta, Philly, NYCFC, D.C., and Montreal. That's that's my five to get in. Sorry, Red Bull. Sorry, Orlando. No no Orlando. I had him finishing with 48 points. I have him going draw loss to close the year. I'm All brutal. right. It's brutal. That is I brutal. It. I don't love it. I Your just hometown. Like I said, I did this, and then I just added the points. I was like, ugh. The Your two hometown. teams I probably had the, the most connection to, Orlando, where I live, Red Bull, who I said would finish second in the whole league. <laughs> <laughs> not great the dc night of my okay. hometown team got in that probably i'm probably biased there
1: yeah well maybe a little bit um all right, all right. well that's that's pretty good i wouldn't uh yeah i don't know i don't we're, know about we're not that picks. far I'm off gonna be honest. Well, our big difference I is i have dc
2: i have dc in and you have Montreal. Mon- I have Montreal as well. You have DC well, in I, and. You don't have Orlando. I have Orlando. You in. have Orlando. Okay. That's the difference. So yeah. I have DC and you have Orlando in.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, okay, Paul. We'll see. Probably both of us will be very wrong. Let's shift to the West real quick. I don't know about this construct and how it's working uh, as a podcast choice, but we're going <laughs> to stick with it because we're already halfway down this road. Portland. They are in fourth. They have 49 points. Vancouver. The Whitecaps. The Vancouver Whitecaps on 47 points. What a remarkable turnaround! LA Galaxy 46. RSL after a massive win at Dallas on Wednesday night. Two late goals. They're in seventh on 45, just ahead of Minnesota on 45, and LAFC, both of whom are in on the outside looking in at this stage. So here we go. Everybody, everybody in this group has two games left. Everybody's even. No, but no games in hand um so so pretty straight up how do you see it breaking down ball i feel terrible Actually, about these that's picks. not true rsl has has one extra game by the way
2: yeah rsl is the one team with the game in hand i feel terrible about these picks um, terrible yeah because the one team i really want to see get in is vancouver mm-hmm. and i i i don't have them getting in i'm gonna play spoiler here Okay. Um. Okay. Let's. Are uh, we gonna run it down like you said the way we did it before? Portland, 49 yeah, sure. Points maximum of fifty five at RSL versus Austin to close the year. I have loss going... win. Uh, was that? I have loss win. I have draw win.
1: Okay. So you have them on fifty three. I have them on fifty two.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Vancouver.
2: Vancouver on forty seven points. You already momentum. put the knife in their back. They've, they've done really well to close the year. Um at LAFC versus Seattle, brutal it's way to brutal. finish the year. I have them going loss, draw. I'm giving them a draw home against Seattle to close of the year, but I have them loss, draw 48 points.
1: <sighs> yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't know, man.
1: I'm going to give them I'm going to give them win, draw.
2: Big implications there with that choice. Win,
1: draw. I'm figuring this out on the fly, for those of you, you can't tell.
2: basically just LAFC out of the playoffs right there.
1: Well, they're not in it right now, so I'm just I just saying, prevented that, them that's, from getting you, it.
2: You made your pick there. Yeah, um, I did. Okay.
1: So I have them on 51, and Portland on 52.
2: Okay. Galaxy right. on 46 points at Seattle versus Minnesota to close the year. I have them going loss-win.
1: Oof. Loss-draw. Everyone's stumbling.
2: Oof. Okay.
1: 47 for LA, LA Galaxy.
2: Okay. I've got them on 49. Oh, man. Oh, man, Paul. I don't feel good about this next team. RSL, 45 points, a game in hand. I have them. They're going home against San Jose, home against Portland at Sporting Kansas City, and I have them going win, draw, loss, and finishing with 49 points and getting in the playoffs.
1: I have the win-win-loss, 51, comfortably in.
2: Wow. Pablo Mastro, does that get Pablo Master any the job?
1: Mm, stay tuned next segment to find out.
2: <laughs> That's great. We should have ended on that. Minnesota yeah, United, 45 points. Home against Sporting Kansas City at LA Galaxy. I have them going draw, loss, 46 points and out.
1: I have them loss, draw, 46 points. So different path,
2: same result. And then to end it, LAFC's on 44 points. Home against Vancouver. Home against Colorado to end the year. I have them going win-win and getting in.
1: Well, I have them losing to the Whitecaps. But I think they'll beat the Rapids, which would give them 47. And would leave them tied with who? With their crosstown rivals, the LA Galaxy? Wow. Let's check the tiebreakers, Paul, shall we? They would both have 13 wins in this scenario. LAFC's goal difference, second tiebreaker, is plus five. LA Galaxies, minus four. So, barring something completely catastrophically weird, uh, LAFC would be getting in in that scenario. So, I don't even know who I have. I think I have Portland, Vancouver, RSL,
2: and LAFC. That's right. That's who you've got. I've got Portland, LA Galaxy, RSL, and LAFC. I feel good about this. I I don't feel good about my Eastern picks,
1: but I feel good about my West picks. I
2: really wanted to put Vancouver in.
1: Yeah, well... You didn't want it bad enough, apparently. That's
2: a brutal end of the season. At LAFC versus Seattle.
1: I mean, listen, you bet against Vanny Sartini at your own peril, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Yeah. You're and speaking, smart. Sp- speaking of, we will talk about Vanny in the very next segment and when we run down all of the MLS head coaching openings. And me and Paul walk through who we would hire if we were in charge. And thank God, thank God we are not. Stay with us.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome
1: back to Allocation Disorder. We have talked We've talked a lot of soccer tonight. We're going to move a little bit more into the off-field stuff that is more of our bread and butter. Here in the last segment, there a a slew, a bevy, a proliferation of openings around MLS in head coaching positions and in GM positions. Apparently, we're talking about GM positions. Producer Paul over here just threw that one at me, folks. Didn't prep any notes on the GMs, but you know, I'll make it up as I go. I'm sure, I'll, sure, I'm I'll do. I'll do Come okay. On. I'm you, confident myself. You carry in myself. the
2: piano all the time. You'll be fine
1: yeah well this is classic diva piano player behavior that you're exhibiting right now anyway uh we thought it would be an interesting exercise to go through and you know kind of outline who we would take for different jobs right now what are there six head coaching openings rsl pablo mastroini interim uh, fc dallas marco ferruzzi interim after lucy gonzalez was fired Uh, Chicago, Frank Klopas, we know he is the interim. We also know that he is not going to be the head coach. They have said that already after Rafa Vicky was fired. Toronto FC, Javi Perez, he's been the interim, sort of. I guess technically he's not interim head coach, Uh, but I don't think he's going to be back in a full-time position next year after he took over for Chris Armas after, what, 10 games or so. Vancouver, the aforementioned Vanny Sartini on a roll after he took over for Mark Dos Santos and FC Cincinnati Tyron Marshall uh the interim head coach there after Yap Stom was no longer welcome at FCC um so there's six openings Paul how do you want to do this man you just want to you want to run them down one by one and we can each give our pick and and talk about why yeah all right you start you pick a team make make your selection
2: okay um let's start with Real Salt Lake Oh, that was first on my list too. For me, I, I'm starting with this one because to me it's a no-brainer. It's There's a very clear and obvious candidate who fits perfectly into Salt Lake, and they're not going to hire him. Um, But it should be Luchi Gonzalez.
1: That's my pick too. Why don't you think they're going to hire him?
2: I don't know. I just have a gut feeling that they're not going to hire him, and I think he would be the perfect fit for them. He He is a coach who has experience with an academy – forward club he was academy director at fc dallas rsl has a great academy great facilities they've kind of gotten away from being an academy team right And, and so to bring a guy like lucci in who's not afraid to play young players and also understands how to deal with a low budget team and the expectations around being a low budget team has had several years as a head coach has learned from those years has navigated things that you know non like assistant coaches haven't had to deal with like the thing about the FC Dallas COVID situation during MLS is back and having to manage that as a great example has seen players sold while trying to get through a season. Um, I think Luchi Gonzalez is the no brainer pick for real Salt Lake.
1: Uh, I think he would be a slam dunk hire for them too. Basically for all the reasons you just mentioned, I would say that they haven't really gotten away from being an Academy focused team I would hit back at that point that you made. They they still start Justin Glad, Aaron Herrera, David Ochoa. Those are three homegrown's right there, just right off the top. Andrew Brody gets significant time. They have their USL set up. That pipeline exists. I don't think it's as robust as it, it maybe hasn't could be. Really, should like, be
2: Ochoa is the only recent one. I, I I wrote about Andrew Brody in Fair 2015 enough. when I was in Orlando. I mean, you did yeah, why? Because he's an Orlando kid. <laughs>
1: Oh, there you go. Didn't know that. Um, anyway, uh, it, it's not quite as robust as it should be. They've signed a lot of home homegrowns. They haven't played a lot of them recently, to your point. So, fair enough. Um, but they have a little bit of mix there, right? And they have some good talent on that team. And they've vastly outperformed expectations this year. My one thing, you know, I'm more concerned about, not about RSL not wanting or hiring Lucci Gonzalez. Might be the other way around, I think Luigi Gonzalez is going to have some interesting opportunities. We know he's been talking to U.S. Soccer about the U-20 head coaching job. We know that that's not dead yet, according to what John Arnold reported today, our good buddy. Um, RSL doesn't have an owner. We saw Landon Donovan pull out of that head coaching uh, game of musical chairs, chase, race, whatever you want to call it, Um, because, in part, they don't have an owner, according to Jeff Carlisle's report you know, and and it's an unsettled situation and that's hard for anyone to walk into. So it's not a super attractive landing spot from that perspective. Um, But from the other perspective, you know, if things stay the same in that front office there, I think Lucci or anyone else that takes that job can be confident that they'll get time and that the club will be relatively patient with them um, in a way that FC Dallas was not with Lucci Gonzalez this season. And I'm still very confused about that decision. <laughs> St- still don't understand it. Like Trying, so, to, so trying I think to figure that would be out who they luck.
2: were going to hire for this is, is not easy.
1: No, um, it's not. Uh, but anyway, I think that's a pretty natural transition, as a matter of fact. You know, to just go straight to Dallas? One last note on RSL. According to reports that I've been able to confirm, Luchi Gonzalez is, is in the running, as is Dom Kinnear, Jason Kreiss, former RSL legend as a player and as a head coach. Um, Pat Noonan is another one. And then, of course, Pablo Mastreni, who has done pretty well uh, since he took over as interim head coach. You know, they were in the playoffs when he took over, and they are still in the playoffs now. So that's good for him. Moving on. FC
2: Dallas, what you got? Yeah, like I said, this one was really hard for me um, to find the right fit. It's a name that you're going to hear me say more than once in this segment. <laughs> um, but I think the right fit
1: Are you hiring two? Are you hiring the same guy on two teams? I'm going to say I think think
2: another team should (laughs) hire this person, but I'm fairly confident, like ninety percent confident, based on our own reporting and of who's who's going into that process or the next stage of that process that that this person's Ah. not in contention anymore. Um, And because of that, I think FC Dallas should hire Jaime Lozano, Um, the Mexico Olympic coach. clearly because of that role has experience coaching younger players, uh, obviously has experience with Mexican players and, and is Latino Spanish speaking, which is really important in Dallas um, as a high profile name in Mexico, I think would help open FC Dallas to that market and would potentially open them to some players at good level prices. Not I'm talking about like a similar to the Tata effect, but not the Tata effect of Miguel Almiron, the Tata effect of, Yamil Assad, of Eric Rometty, that level of Tata effect of going for players that you know are quality that you know well that also know you and are willing to play for you, and I think Lozano would do that, and I think that would really help them because they've struggled on the international market, and I think they could benefit from looking at Mexico a little bit more. I think it's a perfect fit, and that would you know the one knock on Jaime Lozano is that he's not a great English speaker, from what I've heard. But that can always be improved.
1: And, and by the way, Oscar Pereja ran that team for years entirely in Spanish. Right. I don't think that's something that they necessarily care about all that much there.
2: Yeah. So that, that to me would be – I think it would be a home run higher. I think that they I, – again, I, I really do believe that Jaime Lozano is the type of coach right now with his profile in Mexico that would be able to bring some players maybe from that Olympic team. Not the highest profile guys, but that next tier down and and bring them to MLS, bring them to Dallas. Again, could work with younger players, would be able to connect with guys like Jesus Ferreira, Ricardo Pepe because of the Mexican background. That's my pick for FC Dallas.
1: Jesus Ferreira, not Mexican, for whatever it's worth. But I hear your point, and I hear it so much that I agreed with it, Paul. He was also my pick. This is, no this way. is boring. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Um, I don't think he's going to be hired there, and The Hunts have always stayed, basically, with people they know. Always. Basically, every single hire they've ever made with FC Dallas. And I think that will continue this time. Um, I don't think it will be Lozano, although I think that would be a cool hire. A couple of names to look out for. I think Eric Quill, the North Texas SC coach. This was supposed to be Luchi Gonzalez's job. And then Oscar Pereja left for Tijuana. Um, And Eric Quill was inserted into it. Um, He was the 2019 USL League One Coach of the Year. The Hunts know him. They presumably like him. Uh, he, you know, he is, he's been in the FCD system. He doesn't have a ton of men's pro head coaching experience. It's just that North Texas gig, but you know, Luchi Gonzalez didn't have any, so he's got a little bit more than him. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him a couple other names to keep an eye on Peter Lucine, Lucine. I don't, I'm pronouncing that wrong. I'm sure. Uh, he's an FCD assistant. Um, And then, you know, one to wild card, maybe? Josema Bazan. Oscar Pereja's right hand. He was in Dallas for a long time. King of the Asado. Um, He's in Orlando now. Maybe they bring him back. He'd be exciting, you know? He's got a big personality, that guy. So maybe a wild card candidate for you. Uh, Moving on. Chicago. I'm confident our our picks are going to be different here.
2: All right, well, Chicago is one I think they should hire Jaime Lozano. I don't think they're going to. Um, It's a shame. I think Chicago needs to tap more into the Mexican market in general. I think there's a massive, I don't think, I know there's a massive Mexican and Mexican-American market here in Chicago that Mm -hmm. the club would benefit from tapping, trying to connect more to um, in many ways. Um, I think Lozano would be a really good fit for them. But, We reported there are three candidates being flown to Chicago for in-person interviews. Those three are not necessarily the three finalists. I think the door has been left open to bring in more people for in-person interviews. These are just the first three people being flown in. Mm -hmm. But as I worked on that story... You should name name them, by the way. Yeah, I will. Ante Razov, Ezra (laughs) Hendrickson, and Paolo Nagamura. As I wrote about those three individuals, did a little bit of research and reading on them, the more I thought about it, I thought if you're if you're going to go in this direction very clearly there's an emphasis on domestic experience and hiring someone oh, with an MLS background which better you better not steal my pick. Don't even get me really on this do. whole diatribe about domestic. I'm clearly I I value domestic knowledge and MLS. I talk about it on the show all the time, but I've got a real bone to pick with people and like what that means and this whole idea of domestic hiring. Um it's more than just whether or not you have MLS on your resume. That it's just it's more than that. But anyways, I I think Ante Razov's my pick. I, I, okay, he's he's got a ton of history at the club. We know the fire are keeping Frank Klopas All, as an assistant. all-time leading scorer, all-time for, leading for scorer. Fire. Ante and Frank know each other, played together. Current,
1: current LAFC assistant under Bob Bradley, played we coached him, in coached Chicago. under
2: Bob Bradley, coached under Ziggy Schmidt. Has been waiting a long time for his chance to do this. I, I think, for me, if Ante Razov is one of your finalists, even if this is not the final three, if he's advancing to this stage, it's... I don't know. I just feel like that's the better direction to go. Because like, okay. I'm not overly impressed with the resume and background of Nagamura or Ezra. It's not like they're looking at Bob Bradley. You know, it's not like they're looking at like really, really established coaches here. And so I think Ante is the right pick.
1: I think they should look at an established coach. And I think this is the time for Joe Mansueto to show the world what he's all
2: about. I I, I hope you're going to say the name you're going to say, because we're going to end on a certain note, too.
1: He needs to go steal Jim Curtin from Philadelphia.
2: Oh, I love it. I love it.
1: Go do it. Go do it. You're willing to spend money. You've shown that time and time again on players, on facilities, on you know, moving into an NFL stadium that you don't want to stay in permanently and paying sixty five million dollars to do it. Like Joe Mansueto is is a big fish in MLS. This guy throws cash around. Jim Curtin signed an extension earlier this year, I believe. He is under contract. I'm not saying Philly would let this happen, but if if you offer to double his salary and, and Curtin's a Philly guy right but he played in chicago for a long time like if if he was going to leave philly i would guess that one of the few places it would be for would be chicago um go make that happen if you're joe mansueto make him an offer that he cannot say no to and make the union an offer they can't say no to and get somebody who knows how to integrate young players who knows how to manage some bigger players who has been through everything in mls who knows how to succeed in this league, has done it on a budget, give him some more resources, some more tools, a guy who is well-liked from his days there as a player, make it happen. Go hire him.
2: I agree 100%. In fact, I mean, Sam, you and I talked about this in the past um, when this search first started for for the fire. There's multiple reasons why I think it would make sense too in the sense that I think Philly would be open to it to a certain extent. Uh, Maybe not the ownership off the Mm, bat. Maybe not ownership off the bat. But Ernst Tanner comes from the Red Bull system. Red Bull, they, huh. they don't just trade in players. Like There's a philosophy here. And I think this philosophy exists in Europe in general more than here in the United States. Though in American sports, this happens all the time. The bigger club comes and gets the manager or the coach from the smaller club. Yeah. I think that if you're Philadelphia and your whole system is developing talent and selling it on and reinvesting that money into developing more talent... That has to extend to coaches too. If you've got Jim Curtin, you've got an assistant in Noonan who you like, who's probably he's a candidate for all these other jobs.
1: Yeah, you and can you just get an him.
2: offer of a a million dollars in GAM plus financial considerations. I would I would ask for mo- a lot more than that. By the way, if I was well, the you can't really right because well, GAM can, can only be traded cash. if you have. You can well, that's ask I said financial considerations. Like uh, the I mean,
1: the cash. financial considerations would be a lot,
2: like a lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would, I would ask for that. Why not? Ask for that. You can ask for whatever you want, but you know, realistically in MLS, you probably say, "Look, okay, we'll give you." Hey, Mansueto's
1: playing a different game than most of these owners.
2: Yeah, but uh, let's be real here. I mean, on the price is not going to go out of this out of control for Jim Curtin. No, it's why not? not. Because it's not. not? It's just not. Maybe it will. It's just not. But I do think also that Jim Curtin's got to look would have to look at his situation, and say, okay. In my opinion, he's hit the ceiling of what he can do in Philly.
1: Probably, yeah. And unless they dramatically increase their spend, which they're not. And already. I
2: know that Jim Curtin has aspirations to do more. You know, I think Jim Curtin would want to go to Europe, like the way Jesse has. If you really want to do more, working for Joe Mansueto is a chance to do more. Because he is Arthur Blank level. Like he is. They they've spent yeah. really poorly.
1: But George spent. Heights
2: and Sebastian Pelzer, they've, they've, no, not only have they spent a little bit, but they've, they've been shopping in all the wrong buckets. Like Mansueto's like, go ahead, go over to Nordstrom's, run it up on my card. And they're like, but Nordstrom Rack is over here and you can get better deals on those. Are you those accusing sweaters. George Heights of being a TJ Maxxonista? Yeah, he's at, I, mean, I like the Nordstrom Rack versus Nordstrom comparison, but sure, yeah, TJ Maxx works. This show is is presented by TJ Maxx.
1: This episode, FYI. Of course it is. So, anyways, yeah.
2: that I agree with you, Sam. I really, really like your pick. Um, yes. I'm mad, at, I'm so mad at myself at, at not remembering that that's that's a, a better choice than Ante Razov. But yeah. I, I do think of the three people that they're bringing in, Ante Razov should be the the pick if it were if it, if those three are the finalists.
1: Yeah, I'd be curious about Ezra Hendrickson, but we can get back to him later. Let's go to Canada. Toronto FC. I know mine. I bet it's the same as yours.
2: Yeah, I think Vancouver... Oh, we're going Toronto FC? Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's Bob Bradley. Yeah. I mean, I would be... I will be shocked. I will be stunned if Bob Bradley doesn't go to Toronto FC. In fact, the only thing that I think would prevent Bob Bradley from going to Toronto FC...
1: LAFC MLS Cup?
2: Is if LAFC... Yeah, one MLS Cup or LAFC's owner said... Here's a a big old fat contract for you to stay. He's got his home in Manhattan beach. he's chilling. he doesn't really want to shake things up, but he's got
1: the grandkids in Toronto, though
2: yeah, well, he's got other grandkids well I actually don't know in if Vancouver kids yet, but they're in Vancouver they so, do have kids, yeah. so you know there's no favorites, you know what I'm saying but I, I mean i I would be shocked if he doesn't end up in Toronto
1: yeah, so for those who don't know, we've spoken about this on the show. He is out of contract at l a f c who knows if that's going to be extended? There haven't been really discussions yet, as far as we know. Season's basically over, so he's going to be a free agent pretty damn soon. Uh, I think Toronto will make try and make that happen. They'll move heaven and earth for it. And uh, if LAFC doesn't want to match that, even, even if they do, maybe he heads up to Toronto when the grandkids get on the phone with Grandma. And then how is Bob going to say no to that? So... Um we should see a it, father right? father son right. reunion perhaps in the works. Well, All right, staying wait, real north. Real quick. Real quick though. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Real quick. Yeah. Does Michael
2: yeah. Bradley continue to play if Bob goes to Toronto or does, or does yeah. he become an assistant coach?
1: He's not retiring.
2: What about player um, coach? Yeah, I could see that. Okay.
1: Um Vancouver. I have them making the playoffs. So I have Vanny staying. He's forcing their hand. He's keep he's he's he's, he's sticking around. I don't know if that's what they want. <laughs> um, I don't think if Axel Schuster had his druthers, I don't think that would be the pick. Um, but I think he is going to force the hand, and I think he is going to stay as head coach in Vancouver. And I'm kind of here for it, be honest with you.
2: Well, sometimes having somebody in-house is the right pick. Look at Montreal. Um, yeah. Vanny Seattle. I believe, is 7-2-3 since taking over. S- sounds about right. Which is which, which was is very a, good.
1: I have them about mi- what Mark Dos Santos was in his last yeah. run of games at I, I, the home. I
2: have them missing the playoffs. I still, if it were me in charge, would hire Vanny Sartini. I do not think Axel wow. Schuster will hire. Sart- I, I don't think he will hire Sartini.
1: Yeah, I don't. Th- I mean, I don't really think so either. Uh, unless, uh, but I
2: have them making the playoffs and I have them forcing his hand. Yeah, so who I, do you
1: think they're going to hire?
2: No, I I don't know. I mean, someone from Germany, somebody who's like not that impressive, but like is made is is like made out to be impressive. It's like, oh, well, he coached Hanover four years ago.
1: Steve Trundella, he was probably coaching at Hanover four years ago. <laughs> he
2: definitely was. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> was. Maybe, gotcha. maybe it's Trundella.
1: Maybe he's the Bob Bradley replacement for LAFC, or maybe it's we'll the Arthur Razak.
2: Do you? Are we out of everyone else?
1: No, we still have Cincinnati.
2: Oh yeah, okay. We'll go Cincy and then we'll come back around to LAFC. All right. All right. Who you this got? is this is my off the wall one. So I want you to go first because this is so off the wall that I'll let you make fun of me. Um, okay. Who, who, I and by the way, they hired Chris Albright. I would have hired for the record. I would have hired Will Koontz. They have a mess of a cap situation. I think Will would have <laughs> fixed it. I think he would have found just, the right soccer guy. But they anyways.
1: have a mess. They have a mess. They just have a mess. A giant, big old mess.
2: So who who's and- going to come in to help clean up the mess?
1: Well, uh, I have Jim Curtin leaving Philadelphia, which means Pat Noon is staying in Philadelphia and he's going to take that job. So that's off the table. Um, Cincinnati likes to throw money around as well. Uh, they are not so successful all the time in throwing money around in both, you know, making deals happen. And then in the deals that they make happen, um, if I'm Cincinnati, I'm doing the same thing that I'm calling for Chicago to do. And I'm going after Robin Frazier, uh, he's not going to leave Colorado for Cincinnati. So let's take that off the table right now. Um, I thought you were
2: going to say, when you were talking about like doing bad deals and stuff like that, I was like, are you going to, are you going to say Brad Friedel? But then you just said that Brad Friedel did a bunch of good deals. So He did sense. actually
1: like legitimately. He did some bad ones too, but that's every coach or GM. Uh, I think this is the one Ezra Hendrickson gets Paul. He's been a candidate for years and years and years for different jobs we know he's interviewing with Chicago. He said that he was interviewing with Dallas. We haven't heard anything about Cincy, but I think, I don't know. I, I don't really have much of a reason be, besides just having a gut feeling here, but I think he's the one that they bring in. Will he succeed? Well, the odds are against whoever goes to Cincinnati, <laughs> but we'll see. That, that's the thing with these coaching hires, man. You have no idea. And I was talking to a GM about this just today. Coaching hires, you have no idea. Like a guy can be super impressive in an interview and a complete dud on the job. Anthony Hudson, I think, was a prime example of that with Colorado, right? Um or he could be a complete dud in an interview and not get a job for years and then go in and do really well once he gets one. So it's it's really hard to say, but I think this is the one that Ezra Hendrickson ends up in.
2: Well, you know, we'll say some prayers for Ezra Hendrickson. Um <laughs> Okay, I'm I, I really racked my brain. I, I wasn't sure. I will say this. We were reported- going Dutch? No, we, we reported <laughs> um, that Bradley Carnell is a candidate for the St. Louis job. I have heard that there might be interest in Carnell in Cincinnati. So I want to throw that name out there as, as a possibility for this job, the assistant coach for Red Bull, Bradley Carnell from South Africa, originally, um, you know, led Red Bull to the playoffs as an interim manager last year. Didn't actually coach them in the playoffs. Um, he's a, he's a candidate. I have a total. I was just thinking to myself, like, who would want this job? It's kind of like RSL in that way. In one sense, it's a good job because the owners want to spend. In the other sense, it's a terrible job because Jeff Birding is involved in soccer operations and you're multiple years away from competing. So you have to have somebody, in my opinion, who can come in and survive. Like put together a team and then an organize and organize the team in a way to just try to scrape by and get a lot and get the most you can get out of this this rebuild for two years.
1: Are you are you about to drop Dom Kinnear on my head? No,
2: I'm not. I wanted to i I wanted to go outside the box. I wanted to go with somebody who just wants a chance, and so I was like thinking and thinking and i was like oh no this is my bias coming in because this name definitely wouldn't come in my head if i didn't know him but i do and there's who is your pick with me God, can you let me get God. to it on my own time no, you, without it's been three minutes just say the name anthony pulis ant pulis is currently an assistant coach in miami yeah, you know obviously a great year the son of tony pulis um <laughs> If, Former Stoke manager, if you're, long-time manager in England. And who has a reputation for coming in, organizing teams, keeping them from being relegated. Ant is a mix of his dad and his biggest kind of influence here in the United States, which, which is Adrian Heath. He he learned a lot playing under and coaching under Adrian Heath in Orlando.
1: For- Coached in St. Louis, too, right? Coached Coached in St. Louis. And and actually,
2: when I went back and looked, his record was very poor. It was 19-24-20 for Orlando City B, which was his first coaching job, which was a disaster of a USL team, of course. Like, Orlando City put no money into it. It was, like, a mess. They had guys coming up and academy players and guys being sent down. And every week was a totally different roster. It was such a mess. Um, USL, first couple years, he did really, really well. The last year, not they missed the playoffs by a point. Um, but I, I think Ant would. I think Ant would make sense. He, he would. He would survive. He would organize the team. He'd get the. He. He just is really. If you ever meet or talk, like I just have this memory of Ant when he first got hired, doing interviews with this hands tucked behind his back, very professional, very organized. Um, Does he
1: wear a hat all the time? No, like no, that's
2: James O'Connor. Oh, well, his dad too. But <laughs> I actually, I just think he's kind of an under under the radar guy who has just struck me as being very impressive. And I think that he would, I think he would fit this, sh- this very poor, bad job. um And I think
1: he would do well. I mean, there. honestly, the way you described it, it made me think that this is a job for big Sam Allardyce. And on that note, wait, thank you for listening to allocation disorder. No. This show has gone on way too long, Paul. We are going to do the I, GMs. I cannot time.
2: end. I'm sorry, Sam. I, I cannot oh, let you end. We have to replace Bob Bradley at LAFC. How dare you? Uh, We have him leaving. You can't not replace him. And there's only one replacement that makes sense at LAFC. It is El Piojo. Piojo to LAFC. The show is over. Thank you.
1: Big Sam and Piojo, co-managers of LAFC.
2: (laughs) Thanks for listening
1: to Allocation Disorder. We'll be back next week.